Welcome back to the Africa Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have Ben Bergeron on the show. Now, if you've been around the CrossFit space, you've definitely heard his name. From being a world-class coach to an amazing uh, gym owner to the founder of CompTrain to writing his own book to hosting his own podcast, he has a ton of different things going on. He has a wealth of knowledge. And in particular, what I find to be really interesting about Ben is two things. One is that he's in the trenches on a regular basis. He is still coaching classes. He still owns the gym. So he's seen the evolution of the industry and he's able to provide feedback on that. And the second one is because of all the athletes he works with, professional levels competing across the games and also everyday athletes, he really has a good awareness on mindset, tools, tricks, or, or concepts. And so today on this podcast, we dive into a bunch of stuff. We talk about his background. I didn't know that he lived overseas. That was kind of cool. We talked about that. Talk about coaching as an individual. Talk about virtuosity. Talk about kind of reacting to triggers and this awareness of mindset, which was really impactful for me. We go over a, a speech that he actually gave a couple months back at a GORUCK event that him and I were both at. And I listened to his speech. And I thought it was really compelling and awesome. And so he kind of reiterates that in today's podcast. So if you're looking for some mindset tools, if you're looking to learn more about Ben Bergeron, just an amazing conversation. This is a great episode for you. Before we get into it, if you like this episode, simple ask, right? Just hit him and I up, leave a rating, leave a review on the podcast. Let us know how you like these type of episodes compared to Kafka Klippas or the ones that I'm doing with Gabe. Any feedback would be awesome. Now let's dive in a great episode with Mr. Ben Bergeron. Let's go, Dron. Let's go. How how long how long did you live in uh, in Europe for, and at what age, Ben Bergeron? Huh. I lived in Europe for I lived in Paris um, for two years during high school. You lived in Paris for two years. Well, how did that happen? I, I mean, I imagine obviously. What did your your parents? One of them get a job out there, and so you had to live out there. Yep. My dad's a spy. So he, huh. no, it was exactly that. My dad got a job over there. Um, he was in, uh, kind of the software industry and he was brought over to Europe. So he brought the family to Europe and it was, it was awesome. I, I went to an American school, so it wasn't total like immersion. I went to an American school in Paris. Um, but yeah, it was, it was dope. It was cool. So did you end up, wait, did you, so because you went to an American school, I imagine, and your family was speaking English, did you pick up any French while you were over there or not really? I did. It was, I picked up more French than I would have having taken two years of French in here, but I also, a lot of my friends were super fluent, so they kind of did a lot of the work for me. So it was kind of a, you know, it was good, but it, because I had so many people that did it for me, um, yeah, I, I didn't come out of there like totally fluent. So how, what was that like going? So what years did you go there for like your sophomore, junior or like yep. sophomore, junior year? Then? Okay. Yep. So then yep. basically you were in the U S you went for a year, boom, you, you left. Um, and then, so what, I'm, I'm just curious, like that's a, that must be a really difficult situation for like a young kid, right. Going through high school, because from a sports perspective, girlfriend, boy, like friends, all that stuff. Like, yep. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. What was that like? No, you nailed it. So I went to like a regular public high school um, outside of Boston and had a good group of friends when I left um, and was kind of, you know, I was like average at sports. But then when I came back, 
my friends, my friends have like they had all this history, and it was like it was it was hard to immerse back in. And then all of my friends had been, you know, playing football and lifting weights and getting fit and like learning. So you nailed it. Like that, it was it was it was very challenging for me for me um, to kind of get back in the swing of athletics and the social environment when I came back as a senior because so much had changed coming back. But I wouldn't yeah. have traded it. I, I'm glad I went. It was. It was cool. Yeah, I mean that's it's a cool experience, but yeah, that must be really difficult, especially like at that at that age. You know, high school is like this weird age where you're like trying to figure yourself out. And then you're over in Paris and you come back and like these other people had like a whole life. And then yeah, yeah, it's like you're picking back up. And so just because we went on this kind of journey, so then did you then finish high school and then did you end up going? What did you end up pursuing like in college or what was that next step like? And then because did you not? Did you play any sports throughout the, that time? Yeah, I was. Uh, so in high school, I played football when I was in the States. Um, and when I was in Europe, I played um, basketball and skiing because they're not as good at basketball. So I can make the basketball team there. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but it was super cool because what happens is if you if you go to an American school, and you play a sport, you actually take every other Friday. So every weekend, there's a game. And every other week, one is home and the next one is away. And when it's in a way, you take Friday off, travel by train or bus to the other American schools of Europe. So American School of Paris played the American School of Hague, of Amsterdam, of Athens, of London, and you play all these different. So it's really cool. And then you live with the team that you're competing against. So you what? stay at their house while you're there. So that was Super cool. So let me get this straight. When you work like, cause so over here, right. When you're in high school, you know, you might take a bus on a Saturday and go to a yeah. different, you know, a different game that maybe, maybe your longest one is like what, like an hour away, let's just say, but where you're at, literally you're training to a different country and then mm -hmm. you get to hang out with those people. That's, that's a super cool experience. I bet you culturally too, right. You probably got to get immersed in like, you know, Italian culture, Swiss culture, yeah. French culture, et cetera. That's, that's awesome. And then, so when you came back, then were you able to pursue any of those sports anymore, like into college or was that like kind of, you're good. You, I, I played football when I came back. Um, that was the only sport I played in high school. And then when I went to college, I was very, I skied a lot. I'm not competitively, but skiing was kind of my, my sport. And I played rugby in college. Um, Ooh. And then after college, I skied a lot and then got into triathlons. Nice, man. You know, I, I love the idea of rugby, especially like, you know, so my son, we're, we're signing him up for um, tackle football. And I like the idea of incorporating rugby to learn how to tackle more effectively because you don't have the pads to kind of, you know, yeah. cushion you. So you got to learn how to tackle effectively. So um, anyway, moving on. Rugby is a super cool game. It's I, I heard somewhere, I don't know if it's true, but that. Um, rugby sevens is the fastest growing sport in America. It was lacrosse for a long time and now it's rugby seven. So normally rugby really? has 15 aside, um, but sevens and it's um, like, you know, normal, it's like long, like uh, 20 or 30 minute halves and sevens is just seven people aside. And it's a seven minute running clock. It's just, it's like a seven, it's like a seven minute mech. Con like it's like doing Helen straight up. Um, really? But it's a it's a really cool sport. You have to be super fit. You there's no big guys in it because it's closer to soccer than it is football. Huh? You know it's interesting about. I, I wonder if statistically, if it's because um, 
the jumps, like, so if you go from a hundred people doing it to 200, you had a hundred percent gain. I wonder mm. if that's the reason why it's that growth or because I mean, over here on the West coast, at least I do feel some more momentum, um, in particular for lacrosse. Like I know on the East coast, it's been a little bit more popular, but I, I feel like it's trending more towards the West coast. Like I'm hearing more kids get introduced to it. Um, and I wonder if that's the same thing with rugby. I mean, both, I got to go check out the sevens. I've never heard of that before. Um, yeah, you're probably right. It's from a, that's a really cool kind of deeper level statistical understanding perspective on it. But I bet that that is the reason why is because if there's, um, eight colleges that have it as a D one and the next year there are 16, that's only 16, but it's a 100% growth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's no, I'm going to look that up. I'm, I'm writing that down right now. Um, <laughs> and so with your kids, what do you, what, what sports do you have them? Like do your kids, like, what do, what do they enjoy? Like, what are, what are, like, what sports do you take with the sports you were engaged in and then have them go try it? Or are you trying everything under the sun? Cause I, I, I see both sides. Like I'm biased to the things that I'm interested in, of course, but at the same time, I want them to get exposed to everything possible. Yeah, it's that's a cool question. Um, I think it's probably a hybrid of both plus a what did I not do that I wish I had done? Yeah. Um, so all both of our kids did gymnastics. I didn't do gymnastics, but it's one of those things that I feel like is so vital. Um, my son did wrestling. I didn't do wrestling, but I think it's super important. Um, but the sports that they're in now, so I have four kids and they're um 22, 18. So that's the old kids. And then the younger kids are 10 and eight. Mm -hmm. So the 10 and eight year olds, um, the eight year olds, a daughter, and she does gymnastics. She does beach volleyball. Um, super cool. And California do some beach volleyball. Yeah, I know, right? yeah. And, uh, um, CrossFit and skiing is basically her sports. She wants to get into soccer as well. And then the, my son who's 10, does he is big into soccer? He also does CrossFit um, and did gymnastics and wrestling, but doesn't do that anymore. Got it. Yeah, I think that foundation. Like, if I could go back, well, for not that, if I could go back in my own journey, I wish I had more exposure to wrestling and, and gymnastics too. Yeah, I think for whatever you end up doing, it's just the body awareness and all those and the the work ethic in wrestling and the body awareness in gymnastics. I think are incredible. So yeah, for for our kids, we've kind of been exploring those different things, but um. That's cool. I, um, I want to ask you about something. So one of the reasons why I reached out to you is because, so I was, um, I want to talk about, you know, the business of fitness and, and owning, you know, obviously you have comp train, you have your CrossFit new England and, you know, both of us have been very, um, synergistic in the fact that like we had these brick and mortar gyms that got pummeled and now we're rebuilding. And I think that there's lessons learned across that journey for gym owners. Um, but before we get into that, topic. I was at a go ruck event with you and we were having great conversation. Then I went and watched your, um, keynote and I had, uh, I had given a keynote earlier on more, a little bit more business focus. Yours was very much so in, in my opinion, like mindset related and for those people who were not there and haven't seen it. I don't know if it's out yet. I, I tried looking up, but I, I wasn't able to find it. Ben put out, I mean, I would say without a doubt, the most polished, like, I don't know how long you went for, maybe 30 minutes or whatever it was. You didn't skip a beat. You were a hundred percent polished and the delivery was like, like a Ted talk. So <laughs> before I get into the actual subject of it, how did you prepare for that talk? Because dude, I'm telling you, man, I was waiting for you to kind of like 
I wasn't like encouraged. I didn't want you to trip up, but I was waiting for you just to kind of be a normal human and like pause for a second. There was no pause. You just, you just boom. So how did you prepare for that speech? Because I think people, including myself, um, could learn something from that. So it's interesting <laughs> you say that because I've done a TED talk and when I did TED talk, I, I got a speech coach and um, a public speaking coach. Yeah. And I, I, I did not, and it, what it ended up being was what I don't do really well was trying to remember and recite a script and it's acting at that point. I hate acting. I'm, if you, if you tell me I have to do exactly this, there's no freedom. And then it's basically that, like, where am I going to mess up? So what I've learned about my own presentation style is, um, and I'll get to that, is that don't memorize, just talk about stuff that you know about. So that's all I did with that talk was just, I didn't prep for it really at all. Other than get up the other than like, what do I want to talk about? And kind of like, an outline format. So I'm going to start with this and then I'm going to make sure I kind of talk about X, Y, and Z and three talking points. And that was, that was the, when I am able to do it that way, if there is a flub, if there is a miss, it doesn't show up because it's just the way you talk. It's a normal conversation. So um, the honest answer is there was a fair amount of um, figuring out how I wanted to start the conversation but I honestly didn't know how I wanted to start it until I was walking on the stage. Huh. And then, yeah. and then when I started, it was like, Oh, I know I'm going to get to this point. So I just want to make sure I get to this point without <laughs> over talking about it too much. So that was kind of it for the prep as opposed yeah. to the, as opposed yeah. to the Ted talk, which right. I am not, which I did not do well with. And I was not proud of, which I literally, I must've prepped for that without exaggerating, like a hundred hours, like trying to memorize every single line. And the speech coach was like talking about when you move your hands, like this is how you want to move your hands. And they just way, what I learned a lot from that was, was coaching and how they over coached and they didn't coach to me. They coached out of a template where they go, this is how we coach. And this is what we do to coach speech is we say this. And when we do that, and it wasn't for, they didn't find out what worked for me. And because of that, they made me a total robot mechanical, which I don't do well with at all. I do better when I have freedom and I can use the voice I want to and have pauses where I want them to be when they come up naturally and read the audience. And this is what's resonating. This was not, and I need to spend more time on this and move on from this instead of like, here's the script, stick to it. Yeah. I love, dude, I, I appreciate that, that feedback because like I was saying, for those who weren't there, um, many people listening probably were not in attendance. It was a phenomenal speech. Very well. Um, what I thought was well rehearsed. Now, you know, what's interesting is your Ted talk. You said you did a hundred hours more or less of preparation and you had this, um, uh, public speaking coach. Um, and, uh, I wrote this down, coaching and what works for an individual. A, a lot of times what I've seen, and in particular, I've seen this in jujitsu is the over coaching aspect. And I think you do see that in CrossFit as well. But I think it's like this idea where it's like an, you, you paralyze somebody because you're giving them just, you're not, um, 
you're, you're not finding the appropriate, like a good coach. And I, I think you would agree with this. Like the sign of a good coach is someone who can make someone improve on their particular movement. It doesn't matter how they're getting them there. But if you're not, if you're basically um, stalling them out because you're over stimulating them and they, uh, that's, that's the, a coach needs to kind of look from within and say, Hey, what am I doing to improve my athletes versus am I just following this book? Because that's what it's been said to do when each athlete learns a little bit differently in, in, in specifically about, uh, the idea of like higher complexity skills, you know? So I'm glad you shared that because that's an interesting analogy. Cause your, your the speech I saw was, was beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, the, the overcoaching is probably at the, the heart of one of the biggest challenges coaches have. And the reason for it is twofold. The first one is the desire to help. That's that's the first part of it. It's like, I want to help this person. I have all of this knowledge. Right. And I want to make sure that I'm sharing it with them. The second aspect to it is a little deeper, which is it's the coach's own ego. And the coach wants credit for the changes. So if you and if you just sit back, one of the most powerful ways to coach an athlete, um, this is, and I learned this from a book called The Inner Game of Tennis. Um, it's by Timothy Galloway. He is a incredible tennis coach that gets to the, um, the true mind, the psychological aspect of learning and how this works. And what everyone does is they do exactly what you did was paralysis, um, paralysis by analysis. And the most effective way to coach somebody is to video them and then just ask them, tell them what to look at in their own video. I'd like you to pay attention to your feet. Okay. You watch the video. Now let's go do it again. And that's it. You don't, coach, you don't tell them anything. Right. Literally. You don't tell me, but the coach, it's hard to feel good about that. It's hard to feel good as opposed to talking to somebody about, okay, when your feet are, when we're squatting, what we need to do is um, pronate your foot to make sure your big toe is down for three points of contact. And what we're going to do is get your toes pointed at 12 and 12 o'clock. If you can't get there, one and 11 o'clock. And what we want to do is make sure your balance about the foot and your weight comes up. This is what we mean. It's like you want to, and if they change it, it's like, see what I did? Right. As opposed to watch the video of your foot. You tell me if they're staying flat. Okay, cool. Now let's go do another rep. And they change and you're like, mm, was that me or was it them? Right. Was it, did they just fix it on their own? And where's my, am I earning my money? Am I, am I, am I an expert in their eyes? So that's the challenge is first is the care and the desire to make change with people. Good. That's good. But the next is your own ego and wanting credit for their improvements that gets in the way of the learning. You have to simplify it down to the simplest terms because what we're trying to do is get our athletes into a flow state. Now a flow state is where you are not thinking literally the subconscious and the body, the body takes over not the prefrontal cortex, not the logical mind. You just sit behind it and let your body do what it naturally can do. It is the overthinking that takes away from most 
of the learning process. And if we can get away from that as coaches, we allow our athletes to actually speed up the learning process. Yeah, I, 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 there's so many parallels here. Yes, I mean, I've been coaching for a long time. I know you've been coaching for a long time, which by the way, you know, I was telling your team the other day on the phone, like one, some of my favorite stuff that I see you put out and, and, you know, I'm in our gym every day, I'm taking classes, I'm coaching and to see you still coaching, still developing your craft. I mean, the industry's evolved so much over the last 15 years, but to be in the brick and mortar, to be in the trenches, I think is really important, at least for me. And that's, that's where I get a lot of joy out of is taking classes and also coaching. Um, and I'm glad to see you still doing that because I think it just, it's continuously relevant because you could have conversations like this and be like, Oh, you know, I tried this. It didn't work. And it's different than 10 years ago when we were all just trying to figure it out. You know, the overcoaching thing in jujitsu, and I'm just gonna go off this quick tangent because I love jujitsu, but I find it to be that the coaches don't have an awareness. And this probably goes for CrossFit too. I think it probably, there's probably parallels when you take like a more complex movement, let's just say like the snatch or muscle up or rope climb, whatever. And the coach will then be drilling something in jujitsu. And it's like the, out of a 10 on difficulty in that movement, it's like a, it's like doing a hang power snatch instead of a full squat snatch. Let's just say it's like the first step, but then they'll want to just go off and just continue to, to, to go on. And I think it's there. They don't realize that for a lot of people in the room, that's just a step too far and they need to get the hang squat snatch down or the hang power snatch before they move on to the whatever. And in jujitsu, it's the same idea. It's like, they'll be teaching a movement from a side control. All of a sudden they'll want to elevate it fivefold and get into some type of leg lock from there. But the class hasn't even gotten the first piece. And I don't think it's because the coach doesn't care. I think they care a lot. I think there's this discrepancy though, between what they think is difficult and what the class actually thinks is like their means. So how would you correct that? I'm like, yeah, which um, what you're describing is virtuosity, right? It's a term that's been thrown around the CrossFit community a ton, which is, you know, mastering the basics. You know, yeah. it's like it's um, um, doing the uncommon, uncommon, doing the common uncommonly well, well. Yeah. right? So we're talking about an air squat. So what you want to do is when somebody comes in for the first class is you want to be like, okay, so because again, it's the coach's own ego. This is what gets in the way. Look what I know. Look what I can teach you as opposed to like pounding on the basics and the fundamentals, which will serve the person so much more. Yes, it's really fun to get people to be able to squat snatch. But in the first few sessions, it's about the air squat. It's not even about the hang power snatch. And then it is about the hang power snatch. And when it is about the hang power snatch, it's can you simplify that? And I love this, like, you know, Coach B's take on this. When he was first started coaching, he would coach it the way most coaches did, which is, you know, I need you to keep the bar close to the body and, you know, reach triple extension at the end of the third pull and, you know, all these jargon and techno. And he's like, what if I just simplify that to jump and land? That's all it is. Jump and land. And when you land, I want your elbows locked out with the bar over your head. That's literally what a hang power snatch is. I want you to jump. And by the time you land, I want that bar locked out over your head. That's it. Now, what we could do is spend a few sessions on that. Mm. If we spent the way we do this in our gym, and as you said, you learn a lot, you know, having done this for 15 years and actually being in the trenches and the brick and mortar and being with the clients and trying to refine the craft all the time. What we found is when we're for the first month, that's what we have our athletes do whenever a snatch pops up. 
Right. So when it's snatch day for the first month for our athletes, they all do hang power snatches because, and they should, that's a movement that they can do on day one because it's not a movement that involves triple extension. It's not a movement that involves a close bar path. It's not a movement that talks about the extra rotation of the shoulders when in the landing position, it is jump and land with the barbell over your head. Right. If you right. bring it to that, every single one of our athletes can do that. Obviously asterisks limitations from injuries or whatever, but every one of our capable athletes can do that when they're in the class for the first time. And let's just work and refine on that for the first month. And by the end of that first month, they have this awesome landing position with excellently rotated shoulders. They're not catching the bar here and then pressing it up. It's, but it takes a little while to work on that. So let's just hang there just like with in jujitsu, let's hang out with the guard. Like, like, let's just like, I realize we want to get all the cool Kimuras and whatever it is and, you know, rear naked chokes and what, you know, but let's just work on how to defend the guard and how to get into the guard. It's like, and how to slip out of it or whatever it is. And if we do that for, um, you know, the first four or five sessions, wow, it might not be as sexy, but the learning curve is actually faster over the long term. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I, and, and that's like a, a, the coaching curse is, is this idea. Maybe, I mean, there's many coaching curse, but the, <laughs> the, 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 this idea that like, you know, you want to give them so much more, right? You want to make it super sexy, but from a lot of people, a lot of the time they don't need to be, especially in the beginning, right? These squat snatches and whatnot, you're actually going to have them better off for the long term if you just develop these foundational movements and these fundamentals and then kind of build from there it's just right. not as fun for a coach right i mean there's nothing it's not that exciting to teach a whatever and so then they gravitate towards more complex and i think we just got to kind of check ourselves and be like hey what's best for our members and how do we help them come in here consistently for the rest of their lives not just for a day not just for a month that's what i think about all the time so um I, I want to, I love the way we, we went on this uh, kind of coaching and, and because you had a speech coach and I want to talk about the actual meat and potatoes of your speech though, before we were done with this show, because I feel like, I feel like you, you, you had this kind of five level process and I'll, I'll let you explain it more, but basically what I gathered, it was this victim, uh, pessimist, optimist, realist, and then warrior. And I want to talk about these different levels that you've kind of, I don't know where you came up with the idea and the concepts from, but I, I did want to touch base on your particular speech and how that relates for individuals in the gym, how it relates to just everybody just in their daily lives who are, you know, working to overcome, you know, micro adversity or adversity or struggles in their life and how they could kind of like look at this, this uh, level mechanism as a way for them to try and level up their, their, their abilities. Yeah. So it, it, if you're trying to get fitter, you go to the gym and you have certain movements that you work on and you try to improve. And it's really simple to understand if you're improving or not. If your bench press and your squat and your deadlift are going up, you're getting stronger. If your mile time 2k row times are going down, you're getting fitter, faster, better conditioned. If your Metcons are going, and the reason for that is you have an understanding of where you are. 
the problem, what that's called is awareness. Now, if you were in a vacuum, if you were on planet Mars and there was no one else around you and you had no idea what weight you were lifting, how many reps you were doing or your times, you'd have a really hard understanding of knowing if you were getting fitter or not. But because we work out in a class and we know if our weights are going up and our times are going. So the answer to this is just like we have the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum in CrossFit, and you can mark where you are on that continuum, whether it's your deadlift or your blood pressure, your body fat, your body weight, you know where you are in terms of the health spectrum, right? If you are um, 10% body fat, you're trending towards fit. If you're 15% body fat, you're probably well. If you're 30% body fat, you're sick. That's an easy level of awareness of knowing where you are on this spectrum. When we talk to people about their mindset, there's no spectrum. There's no way to know where you are. And because I don't get to go into your head, Jason, I don't get to go, okay, so here's what we got to work on. And here's where you are. And you likewise have no awareness of where you are on the spectrum of uh, mentally weak to mentally strong. So what this hierarchy does is it gives a level of awareness to where you are in the spectrum. And that spectrum is the lowest level of mindset is a victim mindset. And the victim says, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? So all of this comes to light. If no one, if you're not faced with any challenges, everyone's kind of like, cool. It's it basically it's a th it's a it's a measurement of how much can you handle. And that's twofold. How much can you handle before you get distracted, await focus, and how much can you handle before you turn negative? So the victim immediately every single thing that happens in their lives is this like why is this happening to me? Like why? That's the lowest level of mindset. Above the victim is the pessimist. And the pessimist doesn't believe things are happening to them, but things still suck and everything sucks. This workout's going to suck. Oh my God. I can't believe it rained on my birthday. It's um, um, traffic. Gosh, this sucks. All that. But just, just for a quick pause. So if you're talking about, so when building awareness and mindset, I totally, I, I, I get where you're going with this and having the quote unquote hierarchy and equating that to sick to fit uh, with this continuum, I think makes, makes sense. But with sick to fit, it's pretty tangible. Hey, I'm at 10% body fat. I got, you know, a body weight deadlift at whatever. And I got 30%. Okay. Well, Hey, maybe we need to, you know, start um, shifting lifestyle choices to get you over here. But now when you're talking about this kind of like victim pessimist, which obviously I'm going to let you continue, but I want to ask you like, what if you're cycling between different ones? So what if you're a victim sometimes, but then other times you get in a more positive mindset, maybe, maybe you exercised and so you don't feel as victimish anymore. And you, so how do you, if someone's looking at this continuum or this hierarchy of different mindsets that you're going to describe. What happens when someone is navigating between each one of them throughout the duration of the day? Or do you pick the one that you're most related to? Or how does that work? Nope. So you are always going to be fluctuating between all of them. And it doesn't happen day to day. It happens second to second. 
Mm. And that's why CrossFit is so powerful because as a, it is a mechanism to create awareness for where you are. That voice in your head, which we all have, whether you recognize or not, you have a voice in your head that's talking to you. The, the way we get there, just as you said, so the first level is how do we know? You walk in the gym and if you can deadlift um, 225, you're fitter than 135. If you do 315, you're fitter than if you can do 405 and so on. The, what this takes is just as that, all that is, is a really low level of awareness. But again, if you were on Mars and you were deadlifting 315, you would have no idea if that's good or not. You don't even know if that's, but you have a greater level of awareness because you've inserted into a community that's doing the other similar things. So there's more reference points. There's more mm-hmm. data points. That's the right. only reason that you now know how fit you are. Because even if you go from a 45 pound bar to an 85 pound bar, that's a 100% increase. You're still not fit. So you need to understand where it is on the spectrum. That's important. And that's how you know now if you can deadlift 600 pounds, that is fit. So it's it's just a reference of like knowing and it's just a level of awareness. And what this does, so there's really two questions that I'm answering. The first yeah. one is the awareness piece that you have to have that. And the way you create that in the gym is one thing. It's just numbers. The way you do it in your mental side is your thoughts now, but your thoughts are hard. Your thoughts, it's hard to catch yeah, it's harder your thoughts. To find, yeah. So here's the sequence. Something happens to you. We call that a trigger. A trigger is something that comes in through your five senses. You hear something, you see something, you smell, you taste. There's something that happens, which is something that creates a thought in your mind. That thought creates an emotion. Now, what most people think is that there is a trigger and it creates an emotion. That's not true. In between the thing happening and the thought, it, I'm sorry, and the emotion is a thought. Now, it happens so fast, it's really hard for us to catch it. So what we can do is we can catch the emotions. So what we need to do is become detectives. The, the journey of our life, this is, we have one job in our lives. This is the purpose of our life is to become aware of the emotions that we're having. They are the clues. They are the breadcrumbs to a better life, to a more focused, happy, productive life. If you can understand the emotions that are happening. Because what most people do is they, um, they're dry, they're taking a long car ride. This is a really easy one. Taking a long car ride, they're kind of excited to listen to that podcast and their, their phone isn't syncing to their car. So when that happens, what you feel a feeling, frustration, right? Or do you feel something like, God, why does this happen to me? Why does this happen whenever I'm driving? Everything always goes wrong. You're a victim. If you feel frustration, then you're a pessimist. The next level above that is the optimist. And the optimist goes, it's okay. This will give me a chance to think about something. Brainstorm, exactly. It'll start working working in a few minutes. That's even better. It's okay. It'll start working. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. Then there's the above the pest above the optimist is the realist, which the realist goes like, yeah, it sometimes this happens. Like, okay, and you can deal with things. The realist understands that there are seasons. There is winter. There is a time and a place for everything. There is a time. There are going to be good things. There are going to be bad things in our life. This is a part of being a human being. Even dolphins get sunburned. Even palm trees have to resist tropical storms. Every living thing on planet Earth faces resistance and bad times. What the optimist does, though, is goes, it's going to be sunshine and rainbows every day. And it's okay. This little, we're going to be fine. And it's not always fine. And this is the problem with being a total optimist. It's not always fine. And the second part is when you, by default, if you label something good, there has to be two sides of that coin. There has to be the bad. But they don't want to recognize the bad. Everything has to be good. So they crumble when things get really bad. Now, it's better to be an optimist than a pessimist. It's better to be a pessimist than a victim. But a realist is a much higher level. The realist has perspective. The everyone else losing perspective. The pessimist thinks everything's bad. The optimist thinks everything's good. And they're going to try to change everything. Like, it's okay we lost 100 subscribers. That's okay. We'll get them. Like, no, the realist goes, yeah, this happens. Even sickness, things like COVID, they're a part of life. Pandemics happen about every 100 to 150 years. They it's a part of it. The last one was the Spanish flu. Came back in the early 1900s. They show up all the time. The pessimist goes, this sucks. The the so I'll run through COVID in terms of like the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the thought process. When COVID happens, the victim goes, I can't believe this. I was scheduled to have, you know, um, I was scheduled to go to the Celtics game this weekend. And of course I can't go because of COVID. This stuff always happens to me on, it's about them. It's about, it's happening to you. Like, like, right. I'm sorry, but get over it. This is not about you. Yeah. It's especially not. in it's that a, case, much bigger. Yeah, 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 for sure. In anything, in everything, yeah. nothing. Everything that is happening to you has taken 13.8 billion years to happen. It's happening because of physics and evolution. It's not happening to you. It's not. You're here for a speck on a speck. In terms of the life continuum, life has been going on, the beginning of the universe. It's, this has been happening for 13.8 billion years. Even life on planet Earth has been for 3 billion years. You're here for less than a snap. Less than a snap. And in terms of the spectrum of the universe, you are on a speck of dust. It's nothing more than a speck of dust. And you're one of 7.5 billion pieces of dust on that dust. It's, it's not happening to you. It's not. Like, get over it. It's just something that's happening. It's happening. Okay. Now, the pessimist goes, this thing that, uh, that's happening sucks. Like, COVID is terrible. Like, I can't believe... This is terrible. The optimist goes, it's okay. It'll be over in two weeks. <laughs> and it's not. And when it's going on for two years and the kids still are in homeschool for a second year in a row, worse for people in California, <laughs> like I get it. <laughs> but it's they, they, they lack what's called bracing. 
in the athletic world, bracing is massively important. In being an entrepreneur, bracing is being is massively important. Being a human being, bracing is massively important because what you need to do is you need to brace for winter. Winter is hardship. So what you need to do as a human being is be ready for the hardship. And you stockpile the crops in the fall so you're ready for the harsh winter. Again, it's a part of life. The realist understands that winter is coming and they're braced for it. They don't go when December rolls around goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe this sucks. It's snowing. The realist goes, it snows in December. It's supposed to snow in December. The realist goes, you're supposed to get sick. Every human being on planet earth is actually supposed to get sick. It's a way that we boost up our immune systems. Being sick is not a bad thing. What's bad is getting overly stressed out about being sick. That's actually what is a detriment to the immune system. Your immune system is there to, it's just like working out and a little bit of adversity is good for it. If you want it, but what happens is people get sick and like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm sick. I can't miss another day of work. I'm so, and they stress out. And what happens is when you're stressed, your body moves from the parasympathetic nervous system to the sympathetic nervous system. And now you don't have the wherewithal to fight the thing that's coming in because you're in a stressed environment. Stress reduces, diminishes, um, negates the immune system. And now you get really, really sick. So what we want is this reality of seasons. We want this reality of ups and downs and understand that that's a part of life. There's going to be times when your business is down. It's going to happen. I don't care who you are. There's going to be times when you get bad press. There's going to be times when competitors come in and take away from the market. There's going to be times when your star employees leave and start up a competitive company. That's a part of the natural part of the business life cycle. Those same parallels exist in our everyday lives as well. There's going to be times when you and your wife are not on the same page and going home is a challenge. That's a part of it. There's going to be times when, Jay, you can relate this more than anybody else, when your kids get sick. That is a part of it. Now, what some people have to experience this on higher levels than others. And I'm not saying that it's even or fair. That's also a part of life. We will never understand why things are happening. What we're not here to do is trying to assign meaning to those things. That's not what it's about. It's about realizing, can I be okay with these things happening? If you're not okay, you're being distracted. Distracted is a huge, massive word. You're being distracted from your own purpose in life, which is to grow and evolve. When those things happen to us, adversities, whether it's someone spilling your coffee, a coach not showing up, you coming in last place in a qualifier event, or your kid getting sick. The challenge is, and what you want to be asking yourself when those are happening is, can I be okay with this? That's the question. Can I be okay with this happening? That's what hard. What say no? 
then you're not there yet. That's the awareness. You asked, how do you know where you are in the spectrum? That's where you know. I'm okay with um, my coach not showing up and me having to coach a class. Or are you not? When your coach doesn't show up to class, do you go, why does this happen to me? If you say, why does this happen to me? You're a victim. You're not ready to handle that yet. If you go, this sucks. Now I'm not going to be able to work out on my own. Okay. You're a pessimist. If you go, that's okay. This will be a chance for me to connect with more members. You're an optimist. If you go, okay, um, this happens. It's a part of running my business. Let's go do this. That's the realist. If you go, cool, this is a challenge. This is the highest level, the warrior mindset. This is a thing I wasn't planning on today. Here is the challenge. Can I be okay through this? Now you have the warrior mindset. That's what the warriors do. The warriors are looking for challenges. They want the challenge. And every time it pops up, they're aware of it. And they're excited about going through the next, as the Navy SEALs call it, on purpose, the next evolution. It's the evolution of our consciousness. Mm. The universe will give you exactly what you need for the evolution of your consciousness. Always. And it will only give you what you're ready to handle. Always. And if you you truly believe what you just said, there's a lot of peace in that, I think, too, right? If you if you really believe, like, you know, and that's, that's hard to, that's easier said than to believe. But if you truly believe what you just said, you know, I've been in a, a pretty rough situation. Uh, I was in the hospital one time and uh, we were going through a cancer area and there was a boy who's going to pass away within hours. And I just, I just remember watching his dad. I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, this guy, why is he not broken? But he had true and utmost faith in it. For him, it was in God that this was the path and this needed to be done. And I'm not there. I wouldn't have been there, but for him, it gave him such peace. And I, I, and um, you know, we're talking about, you know, I think we're talking about a few different things. Like when we're talking about mindset, this one's more about faith, which I'm sure there's a lot of mingling between, but I mean, even to be able to say what you just said, I mean, there's a lot of peace in being able to get to that point, right. That the universe will not give you something you're not prepared to handle. And I think when you're looking at your my these mindset right you have the victim the pessimist the optimist the realist and then this warrior you know you and i quote i am seeking out challenges because i know challenges are an opportunity for me to get better i choose to view adversity as a chance to focus on improving my character you know i, I think that's one of the reasons why i love incorporating the cold plunge with the kids is because you seek out that challenge and you overcome that small micro dose of adversity now when you talk about major forms of adversity like what you were saying that's a whole nother level but I feel yeah. like to get there, you got to have these little breadcrumbs, right? Otherwise, yeah, you're not so handle the what, what, oops. what you just said is exactly right, though, Jay. Like, we don't, I'm not asking people to handle a child's death at all, at all. What I'm asking people to handle is it rained on their birthday. What I'm asking people to handle is looking at the leaderboard and you're in last place. What I'm asking people to handle is the workout popped up and you don't like the movements. What I'm asking people to handle is, um, somebody driving slower than you in front of you in traffic when you're in a rush. What I'm asking you to handle is um, your boss asks you to work on the weekend. What I'm asking people to handle is your wife said something to you that triggered you. Like that, like those things. 
and you, if we work on the breadcrumbs, maybe I'm not there either. Like if my kid got sick, I would probably be devastated. I'm not there, but have the awareness of the, of the opportunities to work on the small things mm. because what the victim does, the victim focuses only and entirely on the things that are happening around them to them. So they're focused on the traffic. They're focused on the things someone said about them on social media. They're focused on um, their coworker not meeting expectations. They're focused on it rained when they went camping. They're focused on all those external things where the warrior is the opposite. The warrior is only internally focused. All those things are happening around me. How am I responding inside? The victim and the pessimist react, react, which is emotional and it's guttural. It's uncalculated and it's left with regret if you have enough perspective. Whereas the warrior focuses only internally. How can I develop my character in this circumstance? And if you do that enough, you actually seek out the challenges. And when the boss says, hey, we need to talk and just leaves at that, they send you a talk, text message. Boss reaches out and says, we need to talk. What goes through your mind at that point? Right. If you go, oh, damn it. Like what? Oh, victim or pessimist. If you go, cool, this is a chance for me to work on in real time right now. Do I feel that thing in my gut? Because everyone's going to feel, most people are going to feel something there when you get the text that says, we need to talk. What goes through your head? What do you feel? What is that feeling in there when you get that text message? If it's negative, we have work to do. If it's positive, we're, that's pretty damn good. If it's excitement, because you know that this feeling right now, you don't have to control the mind. Forget about controlling the mind. You don't control the mind. What you do is can you sit and be comfortable in face of all the different variations of the mind? So when the mind does the negative thing, it's okay. That's okay. When your daughter gets sick and your mind goes, fucking cancer, this sucks. Like I want nothing more than to be at home doing normal stuff. That's okay. But can you find peace? You said it, Jay. Can you sit behind that and not attach yourself to it? Mm. What you do is the voice. That voice is what it is, is the con you're, you're trying to, your thoughts try to do one of three things. They try to solve problems. They focus or they are quiet and you can find flow. I'll say it again. Your, your thoughts are either going to do your mind. Your mind does one of three things, right? It solves problems, it focuses, or it's quiet and it's in flow. So let's go through those really quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one, it, it solves problems. So what that means is, Jay, what is four times four? Go. What is it? 16. Huh. Yes. Good. Oh. So you're, you needed your mind to do that. When you did, when you did, on that one. when you did that, okay, when you did that, your mind went, okay, what is, and you did like, however you did this thing, right? And it yeah. can either do that. So that's the first one. 
The next one is it can focus, which is you're watching um, a documentary, a TV show, reading a book, you're enthralled in something. It focuses and the rest of the world goes away, right? It focuses. The next is it is quiet and it finds a flow, which means there's no extra anything and all of your natural abilities can actually flow out. That's what we're trying to get for your entire life. That's the beautiful state. That's the joy state. That's what people get. That's the one that it's when you're doing things that you absolutely love more than anything else. Your mind goes quiet. Now, for some people that is actually making love. It's watching a sunset. It's doing real deep, meaningful work. But what happens when you're in a flow state is you lose sense of time and there's absolutely no judgment whatsoever. You're not focused on past or the future. It's just you're just in this beautiful moment, this moment. Imagine if we could live there. That's the challenge. Can we get there? Now, there's times for problem solving. And thank God there is. If there wasn't, we wouldn't have air conditioning. We wouldn't have cars. That's people solving problems. That's really cool. Really, really cool. And there's time for focus. That's like learning. That's like learning from your past and like all this other stuff. That's Your mind in any one of those three states is awesome. And if you're in any one of those three states, that's beautiful. The problem is when you're not in any one of those three states, your mind will default to a different state called chatter. Chatter is where your mind is trying to solve an unsolvable problem that's not really a problem. It raining on your when you're camping is actually not a problem. Your boss saying we need to talk is actually not a problem, but your mind will interpret it as one and work really hard to solve it. It does this whole thing in your head about what is he going to say? Oh my gosh, what's this? It has this whole conversation. That's the one we have to become aware of. When your mind is in chatter, we, that's where we have to create awareness of there you go, mind. And you let it, there you go, mind, doing your thing and just sit behind it. You don't have to judge it. The mind's going to do it. But what happens is, this is the cool part. If you become aware of it and let it do its thing enough, and you don't listen, what happens to a kid that's throwing a tantrum that isn't getting attention? Right. It eventually slows down or goes away. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. That chatter eventually slows down and goes away. Now, this is a long process. It might take a year. It might take three years. It might take a decade. It probably will take a decade for that chatter to get quiet in most circumstances. And the question is, how much can you handle? So if the workout pops up, Jay, and it has your least favorite movement in it, but you're, you, you're working yeah. with the class every day. No go with pistols. Yeah, no. We okay, really so pistols show up. So, so imagine they do, right? You're going yeah. to visit a gym. Yeah, you're yeah. going to visit a gym and it has pistols in it. What goes through your mind? In, in that case, like, damn it. But when oh. you're in a class environment, I just let it ride. I've, I've cool. gotten so to the point where I just, I'm at What happened I'm there is you went, damn it, pessimist. And then you went, wait a minute, but not that big of a deal. I'm just gonna let it ride. Optimist. I mean, uh, uh, realist. That's amazing. That's If we could all live as realists, that'd be awesome. What you did is you just let that thought happen and you let it go. You just let it go like that fast. 
Now, what other people do is they go pistols. Oh my God, I can't believe it's freaking pistols. Of course it's pistols. The one day I'm coming to visit CrossFit New England and I want to show the coaches there how good I am, it's pistols. And that's my worst freaking movement. And they're going to think I suck and that I'm not a good athlete. And I've been to the CrossFit games and they're going to think that, how the hell did this guy go to the CrossFit games? And he's so far off and maybe he just got lucky when the programming popped, right? That's, that's what sometimes the chatter does. That person hasn't evolved enough to handle that like you have. Now, if you go pistols, awesome. I'm going to do the pistols because this is what's going to give me the most growth. Not physically, but just walking through this in a mental or even not even that. Like, how am I responding to this? How am I, how am I handling this? Right. That's such a cool level of awareness. Now, you get that with the workout of the day. Now, can you handle that when... Um, one of your coworkers says, um, I'm quitting and I'm going to work for the competitor next door. That's a little bit more of a challenge. What goes through your head there? Now we're creating a higher level of awareness and can you handle more? And then it gets to the point where eventually you're like the person that was the, the father that was next to you, whose kid was dying. That's yeah. That, that was but, a whole but, nother, right. That's a whole nother level, but let's not even worry about those ones right now. We're not ready for that. That's that's the the doctor. That's a PhD. We're not even in kindergarten yet. We're just getting exposure to this stuff. We just want to be able to handle the really small stuff. Like um, your two best friends went out to dinner and didn't invite you. Okay. Can you handle that? Or does stuff start to creep in and cause chatter? Right. The things that you're trying to figure out is how much can I handle before chatter starts? When the chatter starts, you don't go, oh, damn it, there's the chatter. You go, cool, there it is. Now, my, this is my chance to work on it. This is the mental workout. And if you have the awareness of the chattering starting, then you get to do the work. Anything outside of that is not work. It's too easy. You can handle it. So, Jay, you can handle walking in and seeing someone wearing the exact same, walking into your your uh, workout and someone wearing the exact same t-shirt as you. It doesn't yes. even phase you. It wouldn't, right. you can handle that. I can other handle people, that. other people get upset about that. They can't handle that. They're not there yet. So they have a lower level of mindset. This is the levels of mindset. How much can you handle before the chatter starts? Where are you? Are you a victim? Are you a pessimist, optimist, realist, or warrior? Dude. Oh man. You know, I want to be respectful of your time. I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours and just, you know, some, some useful tools that I've found and, and some I've really been leaning into lately, especially with my kids young. It's just, I like to use this term micro doses of adversity. I, I, I don't know who the hell created it, but when I think of like micro dose, just a little something, right? Just a little something, right? Like this morning before I started recording with you, um, Ava and I were in, were in the garage and, and she was doing, um, she wants to get better at push-ups, right? And so, of course, we're going to go experience push-ups, and they're going to be hard, and you're going to fail, and that's okay. But it's just a little micro dose, right? And then we kind of build on that. And I just feel like, you know, stealing something from David Goggins, like callousing your mind a little bit and becoming better with this chatter. I think we could use exercise so effectively with that. You know, the I say this often. I, I'm, I'm I don't know if you. I think you probably would agree that one of the, the greatest gift that fitness has really given me, or, or competing in particular has been the mindset tools that I've been developed through competing. I, I don't know if you've seen that with your athletes or with yourself, but it's like 
when you have to overcome these challenges in sport, when it happens in real life, it's like, dude, it's just, you've, you've, cal- you've built it up through sport, which has now helped you in real life. It's, it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think that that's what the amazing part about our sport in particular is, is because it is the sport of the unknown and the unknowable. Like if every single day is the same, like you go to football practice and you do your warm ups, and then you do your, cal- your your drills and you do your position work and then you do your condition. It's like, okay. But like, there's not as much ad- micro adversity in that, right? In our sport all the time. You're getting, and that's why it's every single day, even inside of a singular workout, you'll flip through all five of these levels. Right. You'll, you'll, at one point, you're going and it's like, oh, damn it, I can't believe that this workout popped up. Then you start and all of a sudden you're like in second place in the class and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to kill it. And the next movement, and like, then all of a sudden your legs start to burn. You're like, oh man, I'm not going to be like, I shouldn't have had that cookie last night. And it's like, okay. But that little micro dosing is exactly what we're looking for. And that's why I love, this sport is because it gives exactly that five or six days a week. The what it is a magnifying glass on your mindset. Whereas most of the day, you can just go through autopilot and not even realize these things. But when you are working out, that voice screams at you. It is screaming. Like you need to slow, like, like if it's it's if it's something like you suck, like you hear that. Whereas in the throughout the day, it kind of sits in the background. And you, it, it's not as highlighted. If it's right. like that warrior mindset, like like you can work through this. You're so excited for the challenges. You're in last place, like, and you say awesome because it's more of a challenge. Like, holy cow, that's amazing. So I couldn't agree more with it in terms of like what exercise does, but particularly this form of exercise. Three sets of ten bench press helps. It's not like doing friendly Fran, right? Friendly because you're not pushed to that threshold where you could, if you wanted to, tip over. That's right. what's so cool about if you wanted to, you can tip over and you can go to that really dark place. Three sets of 10 bench press, you can't because you reach mes- muscular failure before mental failure. In our sport, you actually reach all of these failure points and then you live and you sit for 10, 15, sometimes 25 minutes at your physical and psychological threshold. How much can you handle? That's again, it's exactly what we're doing. How much can you handle? That's what we want to do. That's what threshold training is. Right. That's the same thing for your mind. And I love your micro adversity. Um, you know, I, can, I call them challenge, challenge snacks. Like yeah, here's a snacks. Here's a little snack. Are you ready yeah. for it? Here's a little snack. Yeah. It's just that. It's fun. It's light. It's a challenge. Can you Dude. can you can you handle the challenge? It's a little challenge snack. Dude, then not a big meal. Up. We're not. Yeah. Ha- we don't have to take a meal. This is not sit down. This is not three courses. This is not an hour and a half long thing. There's not going to be a bill for three hundred dollars at the end. It's a little snack. Yeah, ready for a little snack. I, I don't need a giant meal right now. I just want little snacks. Little snack. <laughs> Those little snacks will help you one day if yes. there is a big meal. Oh, man. Well, Ben, I want to be respectful of your time, brother. I always love chatting with you. We didn't even get into what I want to talk about, which was the the resurgence of the brick and mortar. But um, we'll have to do a part two because, uh, th- you know, we, we, we kind of talked about a lot of other stuff today. I mean, I really, I really, really appreciate your time. 
Um, I look forward to seeing uh, the athletes you work with and gyms you work with compete at the CrossFit Games here coming up pretty soon. And um, yeah, man, I, I, we got to do a part two. Are we going to do a part two or what? Yeah, let's do it. All right, brother. Well, hey, thanks again. And uh, I'll have a, in the podcast show notes, everywhere you can find Mr. Ben Bergeron with this podcast, with this comp train, with, you know, if you're in you know the area where his gyms are at, go visit those. Uh, Ben's got a lot going on. I just really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it, man. Always appreciate your time.